Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Please report to the front <laughs> desk, Mr. Tucker, Mr. Plum Tucker. <laughs> You're saying I'm wrong? What if he's really tired? <laughs> That's how it, it was. I'm sure there's a story. <laughs> He was, about he old was plum. always he was always tired he was that's actually yeah it's a definite it's a measurement you are plum tuckered <laughs> i'm just a little tuckered so what's pete right super tuckered i'm plum tuckered <laughs> i'm pete right i i don't even know where i don't know i don't have anything for that one you're pete righted pete written pete written <laughs> oh i thought it was like copyrighted pete righted <laughs> You don't want to be. <laughs> you know, if you've been half Nelsoned, full Nelsoned, you never want to be Andy Nelson. That's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> dumb. Adding new verbs so, every day. So dumb. Really hey, uh, you have anything good to report? Do you have anything good to report this week? Anything good. Anything good. Hmm. I saw John Wick and loved it. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen it yet, but I that's all I've heard is that that is a movie. Tell me if I'm tell me if what I've heard is true. That is a movie that knows exactly what its point is in the universe. Absolutely. It knows it's a revenge thriller. It takes that mantle and it just runs with it and does a great freaking job. Lots that's of Awesome. Yes. So, like, I, you know, I, is this the return of Keanu? You know, he's 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 that guy. He's one of those actors who it's like you can always really count on him, or you can always not count. On him. It's like <laughs> I guess that ruins the, the definition of the word always by throwing that in there. But but it's it, he's very fifty fifty. Like if he does really good in a movie, then it's great. Otherwise, it's, you know, one of those, you know, The Watcher, or what's that one where he's the strangler guy? Oh, that, yeah. Or Johnny Mnemonic. Or Johnny Mnemonic. Mm, hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's not, uh, I don't know. I, I'm really glad to see that. I'm thrilled to hear that you have a positive review. And we, we've gotten consistent positive review from the gang as well. So I, I, I know I need to see it. It's just been a tough week. So yeah. what else do you see? Do you see anything else? You know, uh, we, uh, we rented Incendie, which is another of the, uh, the uh, films by, uh, uh, what's the guy who made Prisoners? I'm blanking on his name. Villeneuve. Mm, yeah. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, we watched uh, his first film. And that's, let me tell you, that's a pretty tough film to watch. <laughs> Why? It's I don't just, know. I uh, actually, I don't know much about it. Well, it's just one of those films where as the, it, it, you know, if I, I, I can't really use that as a way to describe it because it's going to give the story away. But 
revelations are made over the course of the film as this as these two kids are trying to find truths about their father that which is always a mistake it's always a mistake and it just like kind of leaves your jaw on the floor by the time you get to the end you're like whoa mm-hmm. that's not where i really was expecting that to go hmm. and they definitely weren't expecting it so yes yes wow very interesting, but really good movie. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I we I just want to get your feedback on the big Marvel announcements. Oh yes, exciting. You know, I thought we um, I thought we did a, a, a noble job planning our future. Hmm. I mean, you know, we've we've planned through you know twenty twenty. That's right. For every movie that we're going to talk about, but then Marvel has to come out. And uh, and release their entire lineup for the next four years. It's uh, you know I think it was they heard what we had been up to. Yeah, and they wanted to try to they needed to up their game. I think yeah. it's really interesting. This is what I want your comment on. Is isn't it so interesting that we've changed? We've got this now. DC and Marvel are sort of ramping up their um, you know their press to the point where they feel like they you know they need to release the names of all these movies. On their lineup for the next four years. I mean, I found that really interesting. That that is a new thing for us, don't you think? Yeah, and it's uh, it it speaks to I don't know, just I guess the uh, the power of buzz as far as what they can ride on in order to get these things made. You know, they right. they build they help they build that excitement ahead of time, so the audience is kind of there, and then they can use that to you know. Make sure that they, I mean, it's not like they have to worry about financing these films or anything like that, but it can help gauge, uh, you know, what level of um, budget they're actually going to give to these sorts of projects, you know? Yeah. Is Black Panther the one that people are excited about, or is it That's uh, certainly the one I'm excited about. Well, and there was a a story, I can't remember where I read it, about some actor who is cast as, it it was not... um, in the Marvel universe, who's in the DC universe, um, but he's going to have—he's going to be like a bit player. He's a got, has, he has a bit part in the upcoming uh, Batman versus Superman movie, but he's going to have his own standalone film in like 2020 in DC's universe. In the DC universe, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> the article is very funny. It's like uh, you know the next breakout star dot 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 in six years <laughs> yeah. like they're pre-planning this so far in advance that uh, these people kind of have to have their their ducks in a row and and uh be kind of locked into participating with the studio in a way it's a, it's a weird echo of the old studio system where they would pretty much have all of their actors under contract and they yeah. couldn't step out of that that uh, uh doing films with that studio without permission these actors are really kind of in the same boat where they agree to do six films or however many films and yes i'm going to do this film for you in 2020 you know here's hoping that he's good yeah right (laughs) and and still good in 2020 i i um you know i the uh fantastic um jason snell has posted a link that that or a list of the the complete marvel dc schedule Right. And not just Marvel schedule. I hadn't seen it all in one place. So um, I just want to run through it through. This is from May 1st, 2015, which with the release of Avengers Age of Ultron uh, through June 19th, 2020. So here are the properties coming out from both of these as they amp up their press machine. Uh, Ant-Man, Captain America, Civil War, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad. Doctor Strange, into 2017, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Wonder Woman, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Justice League, 2018, The Flash, Avengers Infinity War Part 1, Captain Marvel, Aquaman, Inhumans, 2019, Shazam, Avengers Infinity War Part 2, Justice League 2, 2020, Cyborg, and finally Green Lantern, trying to resurrect from the damage done. Mm. Uh, Cyborg is the guy who's, who's yeah. going to have a cameo in, yeah. in Superman. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when are the, now, here's the question. They would do this in the comic books. When are they going to do a DC Marvel crossover? 
I don't know, but they've been talking about that. Uh, not DC Marvel, but uh, Marvel Marvel because uh, uh, right. Sony Sony Marvel. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this 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 is the Spider Man problem that they've that they've right. got hanging out here, particularly when you get into the Civil War, because uh, Spider Man and, and Iron Man were key compatriots in the Civil War series, and and um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see just what they what they crib from those storylines. Um, very very sticky situation. That was good. They've woven themselves quite a web. <laughs> Dear God, let's tell the people where we're from. Where are we from? <laughs> hey, everybody, it's the next drill. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, and we spoil movies. Uh, and thank you for hanging out with us. You should go learn a little bit more about the show. Head over to thenextreel.com. You can join us at all of the various social platforms, all linked from thenextreel.com. Join us in the conversation. Uh, and if you do, you can enter to win uh, or enter to uh, join our drawing for the uh, listener's choice and the, the Grand Pony Prize. Hashtag Instagram Guest Movie Challenge. How do we do? Standy versus the people this week. You know, it was a, uh, a rough week uh, for... <laughs> it was like contest. three in a row. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, you, know, uh, it, it, you know, good old Stephen Smart definitely was hitting up the, uh, the Halloween theme this past week. And uh, he posted none other than Hocus Pocus, the uh, everybody's favorite Bette Midler witch film. <laughs> oh... And, um, yeah, and right out of the gate, first image up, and good old Cameron L. Ryan saw through <sighs> the, uh, the uh, foggy uh, moon in the sky and knew exactly what it was from. So she nailed it. One image in. Curses. Cameron L. Ryan, you're entered again. And we're going to really, really stump the people this coming week. <laughs> I say we. Really, 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 (laughs) really, really. That's right. Uh, Yes, I think we're, we're, I think the, uh, we're we're bringing, we're we're releasing the Kraken. Really, this is really getting serious about the serious Kraken. Yes, hardcore. (laughs) Epic Kraken. Well, nice run. Nice run. Yes, indeed. Do we have any other announcements for the people? You know, I, I I don't think so. Just you know, we're getting into that you know final stretch of our year of films. So don't forget to check up on Letterboxd to see uh, you know check our watch list. You can see the last of the uh, gosh. There's only uh, two months left in the year, so uh, you can check out the last two months of movies that we're going to be talking about this year. That's bananas. Mm, I know. Seriously. Um. And, uh, yeah. And so when are you going to, we have been, I, you know, I, I made a, a crack about us planning. So, but when do you plan on posting our next round? You know, uh, sometime, I don't know, probably in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get at least the first half of 2015 up there on letterbox so people can see what we're going to talk about next year. I'm really excited about 2015, how it's shaping up. There's some I series that are well-deserved. It's going some to be a fun hashing and hashing out. Yes, fun year. Fun some year. good stuff. Awesome. Let's do trailers. Uh, I'm going to go first. Okay. I'm going to go first because I feel like, uh, you know, last I told you I watched her on the plane last week. You know, I get all cranked up about Lucy. I feel betrayed about Lucy because it's the, such a terrible movie. Uh, but here I have another relo- r- r- movie about a relationship between a man and a robot girl. <laughs> what are the odds? The, what are the odds? They just keep coming. And so uh, I am very excited about Ex Machina. Ex Machina is the story of a young programmer selected to participate in a breakthrough experiment in artificial intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a breathtaking female AI who has no skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, written and directed by Alex Garland, and we like Alex Garland a lot because he is uh, he's the brain trust behind uh, 28 Days Later and Sunshine. And, and uh, you know, he also did The Beach and Your Favorite Dread. Um, he's, uh, this is his first... Uh, directing credit 
Mm-hmm. Ex Machina. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. He also is behind, and this gives me hope, even though apparently the script is in development hell. He wrote the script for Halo, the live action Halo film adapted from Microsoft's uh, uh, Xbox franchise, uh, which I'm excited about. That's like the first uh, the first game adaptation that I'm excited about. So he's got some fun uh, credits to his name, movies we have talked about on the show and uh, uh, liked uh, in some way or another. And so uh, I'm very excited about this film. What's your take on it? I think it looks pretty cool, actually. And, uh, you know, it's got an interesting cast. Oscar Isaac with a giant a beard. Great, great big bushy it's beard. It's a great beard. <laughs> yes. And uh, along with his uh, Star Wars 7 co-star, Domhnall Gleeson, uh, they are uh, the pair in this film. And it looks like an interesting pairing, the two of them. And Domino Gleason's really kind of been just all over the place lately, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. he was he's in the Harry Potter uh, films. He was in About Time, that romantic comedy. And he just was in Frank, which also looked pretty interesting, and Calvary. Uh, you talked about that trailer a few yeah. months ago. And so yeah. uh, he's just one of those guys who all of a sudden seems to be popping up all over the place. And uh, there is something really intriguing about the nature of this film. And... Uh, Gosh, I don't know uh, what to expect, like where it's going to go, but it really is intriguing. And it, it kind of strikes me like the, the um, you know, ambition, the trailer I talked about last week. There's just something intriguing about kind of that, that sci-fi element of the film that looks slightly different that uh, draws me in so I, yeah I'm we excited. i didn't mention alicia vikander who the swedish actress who is uh, you know i we haven't seen much of her she's been in uh, um you know she's been in a number of films that uh, i i haven't seen but when you look at her i uh, oh she was in anna karenina when she was in the fifth estate and the fifth estate that's right um but when you look at her and look at her in this movie and i it's hard for me to look at her in any other you know promotional still and not see her as the robot like she just has such a smooth and perfectly kind of robotically featured face now like you take that hair off and she's a robot yeah (laughs) i'm sure she would appreciate you saying that i mean that in the best possible way (laughs) i uh, i'm very excited for this film i think it's going to be great and it comes uh it comes to our shores 10 april 2015 very nice. What, what, are you, to that what, what are you doing? Mine is uh, good old Russell Crowe's uh, directing this one. It's called The Water Diviner. And it looks like a really interesting film. I was going to say that it was his uh, directorial debut, but it's it's his feature film directorial debut. He's directed a documentary and a couple short uh, a couple shorts. This is his first uh, feature film that he's directed. And, you know, I watched the trailer and instantly it took me right back to our conversation about Gallipoli. Exactly. Which, (laughs) when I sent you the trailer, you had that exact same comment. It's about an Australian man who goes to Turkey after the Battle of Gallipoli to try and locate his three missing sons. And And he shows up right on the coast, right there, and he meets with Turks. That's it. It's like straight out of Gallipoli. It is straight out of Gallipoli. Like, the way Gallipoli ended... Cut to, you know, <laughs> him arriving. five months later, <laughs> dad shows up looking for his sons. <laughs> it, uh, Crazy. I know, it really was. Plus, it's got the, like, wandering across Australia, like which is right? also straight out of Gallipoli, except they didn't have the giant dust storm that he has to contend with. Uh, but, you know, I, there's something about the story that drew me in, and um uh jai courtney is in it as one of the lieutenant colonels uh on gallipoli olga kurilenko is in it as uh looks like a turkish woman that he kind of befriends who's helping him try to find his kids Mm -hmm. and uh, there's just i don't know i guess i was just drawn in by the fact that we had just talked about gallipoli recently and it looks like a really interesting other uh story about that same war that we had talked about so it piqued my curiosity and here i am talking about it i am also my curiosity is also peaked the trailer has me kind of wondering about the pacing of the film because it seems like quite a roller coaster it's it's here's the search here's the search back to a gravestone 
Here's a search. Here's a story. Oh, there's some graves. Here's a search. Here's a someone else. How many kids did he lose? Like, it was really, I mean, it, this is going to be, I think, a... Well, well, his wife, his wife also dies. She kills herself in the lake right by their house yeah, or something. that was also so, yeah. really grim. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, it's, you know, I haven't seen the film, but maybe I've seen the film. This was clearly a rough period for some people. Yes. I would never want to <laughs> say this was grim days. Yes. Yes. Definitely is. So uh, when does but, it you know, uh, when does it when does it join us? This film, you know, it's it's joining Australia, Australian crowds. Uh, actually, it's going to open just in time for the holidays in Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, and Turkey in December on December twenty sixth, uh, and it's going to slowly roll out across the world um, into into two thousand fifteen. It does not actually have a release date in the U.S. yet. I'm guessing it's one of those things that once they get the right distributor, they're going to squeeze it in wherever they can. So yeah. here's hoping that we get a release date uh, later this year. Well, I uh, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be one to really think about real hard at a grave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a little Bill Clinton going on in there. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just it's, it comes from deep from the well. <laughs> uh, now I've got this box of old war memorabilia, Andy. I'd like you to try some things on. What do you want, boy? From the director of The Usual Suspects. I have your fingerprints. I have your photographs. Curiosity drew him in. You did those things. I want to hear about it. Everything they're afraid to show us in school. But when fascination turns to fear... Be careful. You'll play with fire. The real game begins. Have you lost your mind? Ian McKellen, Brad Renfro. Now we see what you're made of. Apt Pupil, rated R. This is the last of our Stephen King. I know, I know. Are, do you, are you, is it bittersweet for you? For me, it is. I mean, you know, I, there's still a good number of Stephen King films that I do enjoy. There's a lot of them that I'm okay not talking about. But, uh, but you know, all good things must come to an end. There's probably some of our uh, listeners who are ready for us to end the Stephen King series. <laughs> but I've enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about uh, the end note that we're going out on. Are you? <laughs> I, you know, I, um, I have such mixed feelings about this film. Good, I do too. Really? Uh huh. I don't know what I what I expected from you. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I mean, I've been trying to think about that. Like, what, what, what is Andy getting out of Apt Pupil? Tonight, 1998's uh, Brian Singer directed, uh, Brandon Boyce penned, um, you know, Nazi thriller, Nazi historical thriller, retrospective nostalgia film, <laughs> starring Ian McKellen and the late Brad Renfro, uh, and um, and uh, Joshua Jackson. Um, not to. Uh, not to dismiss, uh, you David know, Schwimmer. David Schwimmer. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> David Sh Sh Schwimmer. Uh, you know, this one is the is another that comes from uh, Stephen King's anthology, Different Seasons. We've talked about a couple of those already, and uh, it it is the tale of a high school boy who blackmails his neighbor after discovering that said neighbor was a member of the uh, Nazi SS. And a horrible war criminal, uh, wanted by Israel, I think, was hunting him, right? Mm-hmm, yep. And, uh, you know, it is a film that is, you know, on its surface, it's it deals quite blatantly with, you know, an aggressive, um, it's an aggressive film of blackmail, um, the of, of rage, of, you know, uh, it, it's really grim. It's just really dark. Not as dark as the book. Not as dark as the story. Um, but I think culturally, what I find really interesting about this film is that it is a it is a story that takes adolescent curiosity to its 
to its limits, right? To its emotional limits. Like we know we go through this phase as young men where we're curious about everything, you know, and we want to see what is it in the world uh, over which we can exert power and strength and muscle. And, um, and, and this is a story I think Brad Renfro does a, a, a pretty good job of, of putting that on display of, of, you know, this, this sense of um, youthful immortality um, that, um, you know, that he gets to put pressure on this aged, uh, presumably feeble old man who, um, you know, and this is his chance to, to be a big man, you know, to, to, uh, to show what he's made of. And so I, I really like that dance. Um, I'm not sure that the film is architected to the credit of its cultural statement. Does that make sense? Yeah. How about you? I, I, yeah, I think um, I think you're right about uh, about the the architecture of the story. Um, I, I am fascinated by the characters and this um, look at evil and how evil kind of develops in in people and uh, and how they turn and how there also seems to be something innate about uh, evil that is in us that, that for some people is a stronger draw than others. And, and I think Brad Renfro, there's something in this young 14-year-old that is already, sen- I get a sense of this darkness as he kind of plays this and, and this um, um, desire to... Uh, experience and learn some of that the the darker stuff you know um kind of like what you were alluding to um the story i i think you're right there's a there's a big difference uh, between the book and the film that that brian singer ended up directing that um i mean i know i read the book and i just remember thinking after i finished it wow that was really dark (laughs) i can't imagine that ever being made into a movie because it's just it's it's hard for filmmakers to make a film that is dark you really I, we've talked about this before the whole notion of saving the cat and the idea of creating a protagonist that your audience is kind of rooting for and this is a really tricky film and a tricky story because there's no one to really root for right. i mean right from the start uh you know todd is not a character that uh we're really uh, siding with because here's this kid who's really fascinated by this uh, this uh, Nazi war criminal living in his um, in his community who he blackmails into giving him all telling him all these gruesome stories. I mean, there's not really anything that we have to like about this character. There's nothing that we have to like about uh, Kurt Dusander as played by Ian McKellen, even though Ian McKellen just draws you in naturally and it makes it hard to not like this guy. <laughs> you know, that's that's the weird thing about Ian McKellen playing this guy is he's so good but he's also so likable that when he gives some of his Gandalf looks, it's like, oh, I kind of like this guy. Wait a minute, he's a Nazi. What am I thinking? <laughs> you know, <laughs> those weird moments because he's just, he's so stinking good. But the story in the book, I think, has this level of darkness that the movie, it's, it's like the filmmakers knew they were making a dark story with a protagonist that we didn't like, with a, an antagonist that we didn't like. It already makes uh, a film, a very tricky film to tell, because it's hard for the audience to want to sit through that, because there's yeah. no one to really latch on to. It's easier in a novel, and in the novel, they go much darker. And yes, Brian Singer and Brandon Boyce pulled back on that quite a bit. And I'm still torn in my head if pulling back in order to make the film was the right thing to do uh, in order to, I mean, probably financially it was, even though it didn't do well at all. Um, But it makes me wonder, like, if they had actually just gone whole hog and told it the way it was in the book, where, I mean, you know, geez, we've got Todd Bowden and Kurt Dusander both uh, without yeah. realizing it, they're both killing homeless people. Um, uh, Dusander is regularly uh, killing cats. Um, uh, and and is, homeless vagrants. I mean, they're, yeah, it, and, right. it was really... Yeah, exactly. 
and, and and you know, I think that's the that's the issue. It, to me, it really feels like you know what they wanted to pull out of the story. What Singer and Boyce wanted to pull out of the story was was this idea of the awakening, uh, and in this case, reawakening of evil. Right? It's it's that this is what happens to adolescent curiosity when this veil of you know of of sterile history that you learn in class, in the case of young Todd, is lifted, and you you realize that these questions you're you're asking you really are poking the sleeping dragon right that that um, and and you we get to witness the awakening of that evil in this boy and we get to witness particularly in the scene you know where he where Todd makes Dusander put the the uniform on and then march um, under this threat of blackmail uh, we see McKellen and I, I think in this sequence this is where you really experience that awakening of, of McKellen and, and his draw as an actor in this part um you know we we see that come alive in the film and that i think is also the story of of the awakening of evil in the book and in the book they they do i mean they just they take it from there and um they they kill vagrants it takes place over the course of four years uh you know at, at several points throughout the book and in fact the climax of the book um you know Todd Bowden is is uh, you know sits up on top of a highway and just you know shoots drivers in cars, um, and uh, it, you know they they eliminated a lot. It is significantly different. But I think what they were going for was was trying to find what that essence is. And and if you get you know if you if you I feel like if we had Brian Singer here and asked him you know what do you think is is this core, it's that transition from adolescent curiosity to a real awakening of of what this inner demon is going to do for him in his life. Uh, and and I think I'm with you. I mean, I, I almost feel like I wanted it to be more aggressive uh, and see more out of this because as it was, um, it it felt uh, like it was paced almost too quickly for such a uh, for a story to for for me to really feel attached to the to the narrative um a- apart from a few i think blisteringly solid sequences it's it's a little bit disjointed and uh i think you bring in edward french and it just sort of falls apart for me i mean i, I just i uh, i i was not happy with the end in particular yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a, it is an interesting end in the fact that we do see as you were just saying it's the evolution of evil within this kid. And I mean, you know, he already starts there's already this darkness in him. I mean, right from the beginning he is ready to blackmail this guy. Yeah. And, and so, I mean right from the beginning like the opening credits he's ready to blackmail this guy. Like there's no right. breathing room in this film. Right. I mean, it starts with him. I mean, aside from the the actual credits of him researching, yeah. uh, then it's like him on the bus and he yeah. sees him. And, and then uh, I mean, we get the title card in there a month later, I guess. But still, it's but like it next so thing you know, he, he, he's in his living room and he's he's blackmailing him into doing this. It's like, wow, OK, so that's that was very quick. And yeah. um, it uh, it just doesn't um, there's not enough build, I guess, in the way that it uh, it does. End. I, I do like the the idea that they were going for of creating uh, of basically this awakening because I mean I, I it, it's an interesting way to end it because I will say it is a very dark and frightening kid that Todd Bowden is at the end of this film like he is he is a little Walter White here you know yeah. i mean it's, yeah. there's there's this dark level that he's gone to where he's he's willing to blackmail uh whoever he needs to in order to uh get what he wants and 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 keep himself safe and all that yeah. and it's uh, it's pretty frightening but that being said i i don't think it holds a candle to the ending of the book no i don't you know, either I, I, yeah, I, I don't either there's something there's something about that uh place where he takes it where he actually goes out with the gun and starts shooting people off the kind of the overpass or whatever yeah. it is and uh then has that kind of showdown with the cops and yeah and is and is is rightfully killed yeah do you know what i mean down, like there's right. there's something about that uh that feels more like a redemption particularly in a story in which there are no characters for you to root for as you brought up right right because now we're left in a place where uh, this kid is just, he's out there now. It's like watching the birth of a serial killer yeah. 
and not having the uh, the the justice, you know, not having them caught. It's it's very it it's a very dark place for this film to end. I mean, it's very dark, and um, it's an interesting character study. But I don't think it makes for an enjoyable film to watch. Wait, say that again. It's an interesting character study, but I don't think it makes for an enjoyable film to watch. Oh, God. Man, I must have heard you wrong, because I thought you said, uh, it's an interesting character story, but I think it makes for an enjoyable film to watch. Oh, no. I, I definitely I think don't. you just think had a stroke. Story. What? <laughs> uh, that's, that, I, I think I'm, I, I'm right with you. And this is one of those films I was a little bit, um, you know, I felt a little bit burned by, because I, I, my memory of it was much better than this recent view. Um, it was just not. Uh, it was just not as strong as I remembered it, and and even the ending. I mean, it just the way it ends, where there there is it, it, it is a redemption story for evil. You know that he gets. Um, um, you know he he just uh, he he gets off. He threatens the you know Edward French the who's trying to out him as you know somebody who's just played the uh, played the school, mm-hmm. and. And he, you know, threatens to out him as a, as, um, you know, a gay, you know, a, a pederast. And, um, you know, now he, go, he goes on, you get to see where he's going. But it, it, the film ends in a way that is not redeeming for the audience. No. Uh, and that's, that's a real downer. It is. It is. It really is. Um, I will say I, I like the end of, uh, of, of uh, Doosander. I, I think that's a very interesting ending that he kind of takes this this uh i guess you could say in a way the coward's way out of killing himself when he's in the hospital but i mean i will say it's a pretty awful way to go you know kind of blowing the air into his uh into the tube feeding the feeding it into his veins and and basically uh killing himself in that horrendous way um there's something interesting about that even though it is the coward's way out but i what i find interesting is um, when he's in his death throes, there's this really frightening mirror to the way that his arms are flailing around that ref- that mirrors the way that he was marching and the way his arms are marching yeah. the up and down and up and down. And I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of portray that, uh, you know, between those two scenes. Um, even if you know, I, I I don't know. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting death scene. I I wish that they had caught him before he had a chance. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just me seeking justice in the film. But uh, but I do find that an interesting element. I you know I I would saying the um uh, I think the uh that death scene in particular also mirrors some of the the more violent kind of nightmares that. Todd was having, and I, I think that's a that was an interesting parallel to me as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How does this this seemed a little bit out of character for um, for Brian Singer? You think? Well, yes and no. I mean, this was what his second film, right? Yeah. After uh, the Usual well, Suspects, you know, and he did um, what, what? What was what was up with? with public access he he directed that did he write it um yeah he wrote that was his first he, film was he public co-wrote access it. He co-wrote it right yeah um, that was just one of those like little indie things that he did that, have you seen uh, it it's you know i haven't i i, I never saw it's not it. good it's not a good yeah. film i went through a brian singer phase and i it was not good it was one it was a disappointing launch but and and it was a surprising launch considering only two years later comes usual suspects yeah, um, which is which such is a great. strong film. Yeah, but it, yeah. but that's what I mean. Like it, it I, I guess I should say apt people may be more in line with public access than Usual Suspects. But Usual Suspects, and then we go into you know I I never saw um I, I well no I guess that's not true. So then we get into X Men and you know Superman right. and right then he gets into the you know he's the big Hollywood he's guy. he's the big Hollywood guy right. right. Right, and I mean, you know, a good thing that came out of Apt Pupil, obviously, is he met Ian McKellen, right. a key part of the X Men franchise. Um, Bruce Davidson, Bruce Davidson who's in Apt yeah. Pupil, also is in X Men, and um, and obviously his team that he's kind of uh, had around him for a while. I, I think there's a, a number of them. Um, John Ottman, I think, is one of his key collaborators. Yeah, for the music, uh, not just the music, and but the, the editing. Yeah, editing and producing he's, and. He's a, a rare breed, John Ottman, because he um, works as a composer um, 
and editor quite a bit. And he's actually, I think he has actually edited not all of uh, Brian Singer's films, but most of them. He, uh, I think he skipped the first X-Men film. He did. He came back um, to X-Men 2. Yeah. But, um, but I believe he, uh, no, he didn't do the music for the first X-Men. That's, uh, that seems to me one of those moments where the studio kind of steps in and says, we're going to give you this big franchise, but we're going to tell you. We're going to give you uh, a few people too. <laughs> a, few, a few people to kind of make sure you're doing right. Yeah. But uh, but I love John Ottman. I think he has some amazing film scores out there. I just love his stuff. This one is not one that I would say I love. Although I would say that it works in context of the film, even though it's just, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough score. It's a tough film. It's, you know, I, it fits. It's just not fun. It does. It works to me much more in parallel to the film. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's a score that has its own demons and they, uh, they line up well with the film, <laughs> but I never feel like it is, uh, uh it, it's, uh, a piece of the film if that makes sense um and it's certainly not one that i would find myself listening to right uh, in any sense uh beyond the film itself right uh but go ahead uh, no i was gonna say going back to brian singer though um there is an element of of brian singer in his uh filmmaking that i think comes out he he seems definitely seems to have kind of this um fascination with the with the holocaust and with um just that world and and growing up as a uh, in a jewish household i mean it, it, i think it makes sense for him to kind of have a draw to that world and uh valkyrie is another really interesting look at um the uh, at that period in time that we hadn't seen before i mean i had never even heard about that story before but i i find it a really fascinating film um definitely superior to this film Mm-hmm. But but I do find um, it, it does seem like there's something that he's drawn to in the nature of evil. And, uh, and, and he actually even said that you could – it doesn't have to be a film about this Nazi living next door. He could have been um, somebody from one of these other horrible regimes in the world that could have been living next door. And that's – you know that, that would have been fine because the point was just this – this discovery of evil and then this exploration of it, which I think is a really interesting uh, way to look at this, that you, know, you certainly could take take uh, him out and you could put um, somebody from, you know, the, uh, the, the Far East who is, who is, you know, torturing their people mm-hmm. and, and, and you could have the same story. It's, uh, it's very interesting. It is interesting. And you, now that you bring that up beyond, uh, you know, the fact that it opens... That he opened, that we open X Men in in a very similar like and unexpected uh, origin right. story. Uh, it, it, we we keep coming back to that setting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's definitely definitely something that obviously figures in, uh, prominently in in his life and something that he wants to explore and and look at. Sure. Um, we've talked a little bit about uh, Newton Thomas Siegel. Siegel. I think it's Siegel. Is it Siegel? There's no e in there. S i g e l, sigil, sigil, sigil. Sigil. I think that's how it's how he does it. I'm sure that is. Last time he called, sure. yeah. uh, he did uh, Drive, cinematographer on Drive. Right. Uh, this was this was not, definitely not one of his earlier uh, films. He's been around for some time, um, but um, uh, I think this was his uh, his first as cinematographer for brian singer if i'm not mistaken no he did usual suspects that's right uh any case uh what do you think about the uh, about the camera i uh, you know i go back and forth with it uh there are times where i think it's um works really nicely and it pairs really nicely with the uh the production design as far as the color palettes that they uh, that they use in certain scenes um there are times when i think it's just being too clever uh, unnecessarily and uh you know some of it is some of the just the overhead shots that they they come back to time and again like in the basketball court or yeah, yeah. um 
uh, there's an, another couple times I can't remember where they're directly overhead, and and I'm just like I, I don't really know what the reason for that is. I'm not really sure. And to me, it felt like I, I don't know if I uh, would be putting that on 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 Siegel because he's you know he has been around for quite a while, or if it's something that is kind of a, a Brian Singer young filmmaker still trying to figure out how he wanted his films to look. And just kind of exploring with it quite, you know, a bit and just seeing, does this work? Does that work? Let's do something really interesting here. Mm -hmm. Even if it, in retrospect, wasn't something that made sense in context of the film. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think he's got um, an an interesting sense, particularly in the kitchen. You know, that's a a key set um, in this film, in Dusander's Kitchen. And there are a couple of really interesting framings that I think you you may be alluding to. But, uh, you know, this uh, where we see Dusander, particularly when he puts on the the uniform and he's got the frame of the door behind him and he's got the frame of the film around that. And it's like this. and, And the ceiling in the room beyond is a series of boxes. And we have this really wonderful set of parallel lines that completely frame uh, Dusander in this helmet. And it's just a really great image. And it's just this slow zoom. And then he turns. It's just very, very strong right angles everywhere. Uh, and I, I really enjoy that. And then, you know, I I was going through looking for, for um, you know, some good stills for the for our images for the website. And, and I start noticing, like, any time we have a character sitting down, um, the camera is placed at exactly the same sort of 20 degrees off angle. Uh, it's very kind of broadcast news setup uh, where where the camera is at exactly the same um, eye level, exactly exactly the same off angle from character center, and it just it ends up being really repetitive from sitting in David in David Schwimmer's uh, office to sitting in the park outside to sitting in the chair at the kitchen table, and it just it ends up being sort of visually so repetitive. Um, that I, I, you know, I, I go from being really kind of entranced by these interesting framings to being sort of bored, um, you know, by it. And it's, it's, it, it's not very consistent for me. Yeah, there, there is something that it does feel like we could be doing something else here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. trying something, just anything, uh, anything else. You know, it, I, I think that as we, as the film moves on, though, you know, they they do end up capturing more interesting tension between, um, you know, the young and old, um, you know, and and one of the things I kept sort of noodling on was this idea that we're unleashing. Um, we're living in sort of a contemporary sense of evil, but we're unleashing a deeply historic evil. And uh, one of the, I think, lessons, as uncomfortable it is as it is that this film sort of maybe unintentionally makes, is, you know what, really, history really will teach us nothing. And, and, and these, these characters, once again, are a demonstration um, of, of just the repetitive nature of humanity. Uh, and I and I think they capture that well, particularly as the characters start to to test one another and try to take ownership of the relationship. And and that's a that's a piece that I think it ends up being framed really well when Dusander finally you know uh, unleashes on him and and um, and then they establish their sort of careful detente over uh, over the his uh, as as Todd begins to fail school and he. You know, Dusander steps in as the fake grandfather, um, and and reaches some this accord with the guidance counselor that uh, he'll help him uh, get the work. He'll help Todd get the work done, and uh, uh, and and that ends up sort of uh, taking us to a new level of these characters testing themselves. And I think that intensity that that builds there is really interesting. Uh, for me, unfortunately, it's not enough to save the overall experience of the film. Yeah. I agree. I agree. There is something interesting about the just the nature. Uh, something you said uh, triggered this in my head, but uh, the nature of copycats and 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 being a copycat, and uh, you know, looking at copycat crimes and why they happen. Uh, it, it's clear, you know, there's somebody who who commits a crime. In this case, is Dusander in in you know, with his uh, all the crimes he committed as as a Nazi. Um, but then Todd Bowden, what, what often happens in copycat crimes is the, the second, uh, the, the person who ends up copycatting has something inside of them. They just don't know 
how to get it out. And it's almost like they're looking for somebody to unlock it or they're looking for that thing. And there is that trigger that he finds when he starts learning about the Holocaust and then he finds this guy living in his neighborhood. And it it is that kind of frightening key that unlocks him, that opens his door and kind of allows him to kind of step out and start doing some pretty frightening stuff. Yeah, truly. But... uh, Um, what else is on your list? Uh, you know, um, I did not realize this, but there had been another attempt at making this film. Really? Before, yeah, before uh, before Brian Singer got a hold of it, a, uh, a producer, Richard Kobritz, actually had optioned it back in uh, uh, when it came out in 1982. He um, uh, was pushing to get this made, and he brought James Mason on to actually play a Deucander. But then James Mason died in July 1984 before production started. Um, and then he approached Richard Burton for the role, but then Burton died. And uh, so he finally got, in 1987, he got it working with uh, Nicole Williamson as uh, Deucander and Rick Schroeder as Todd Bowden. Well, that's an interesting casting choice. I know, very interesting. Um, they began directing it, but after 10 weeks of filming, they, they had about 40 minutes in the can. Um, they ran out of funds, and they were trying to find the rest of the funds, and it never came through, and the whole thing fell apart. And it wasn't until um, the uh, mid-90s, I think in 95, Stephen King sued those guys to get the rights to his novella back. And he got them back. And then, and Brian Singer had actually written him because I guess he was uh, back in high school, he had, or high school or early college, he had actually read this and wanted to adapt it. And so his buddy, um, his uh, friend, Brandon Boyce, he had his friend adapt it, got it to Stephen King. And lo and behold, um, it, it, he, King liked the option or liked the uh, script, and he uh, optioned, uh, had Brian Singer option it. And, you know, Stephen King's standard thing is he optioned it for a dollar. That's usually what he does. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, another version with Rick Schroeder was on its way to getting made, though. Some alternate universe, Rick Schroeder is Todd Bowden. Yeah. <laughs> very strange, very strange. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Um, this film also... Uh, you know, this is uh, Brian Singer. Sometimes just does not have luck when his films are getting released. But uh, this film suffered from a lawsuit that happened. There's a scene in this where um, uh, Todd Bowden goes to uh, to shower after playing basketball um, at school, and um, he and uh, all the classmates are in the shower. And you kind of zoom in on him, and then you pull back, and you see that all of a sudden, in his mind, he's shifted. And now he's in a Jewish uh, prisoner uh, he, with a bunch of Jewish prisoners in this gas chamber. Um, very interesting scene and very frightening as you see kind of these old Jewish men just kind of looking at him. Um, but from filming that scene, a number of extras who were young, all underage, um, 14, 15, 16, uh, filed lawsuits saying that Brian Singer forced them and, uh, and some other extras to strip naked for the scene. They felt like they had been used and they were traumatized and uh, uh, had emotional distress, all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it ended up going away, um, but it's just one of those kind of strange things that, uh, you know, it's, it's happened a couple times in uh, some of Brian Singer's films when they're getting released. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's because he is a, a gay filmmaker or what, but uh, that was a, that was a problem when this uh, this film came out, and they actually had to go back. Um, the, the 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 lawsuit was dismissed, but they actually had to go back and reshoot the whole scene in order to get the film released on time um, using people who were all eighteen and older. You know, uh, it's that is a it's a horrible story for everybody involved. Oh yeah, it is. Um, and you know you don't want to be in that position that's a that is a, a a crummy thing to have happen as the film releases but you know even worse for those boys no matter what happened um to feel that way yeah right i mean it's not uh, i mean 
I can't do I you know being 14 is not the time in your life where you're very no. comfortable you know in your own body exactly you know, being naked in a room full of filmmakers and yeah. crew and you got the grips and you got the makeup people and you know I, I I can't imagine that you know that seems like it'd be very hard to do yeah. so I I do feel bad for those guys and the whole scene seems like uh, you know it's an interesting thing but you think that that's also one of those things that they could have thought about ahead of time like let's let's cast this with 18 plus year old so we don't have to cross that right. line oh. right right but, uh, um yeah it, it, that's 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 a challenge uh, you know um i i feel like we just need to say a little bit about um brad renfro mm. um who you know ended up having a, a short short career and you know it's funny as i as i look at his films i have not seen very many of them um you know he had he uh, had 28 credits before he died of um what i understand is overdose in 2008 yeah 25 uh, years old 25 years old had a very difficult um very difficult young life you know dealing with drugs and and um tried to steal a yacht uh, just a series of really bad decisions, um, and, uh, and was lost. And it's, it's interesting to see, to watch him, to watch this film, knowing how his story ended. Yeah. Uh, to me, I find that an interesting parallel to, to, you know, his, his discovery of his own, um, well, I should say lack of invincibility. Right, uh, right. You know, you watch him in interviews talking about his experience on this film and the, that sort of youthful exuberance about, you know, being in a film like this and, and knowing full well that, you know, this is not a movie for those of his age because those of his age would never understand uh, right. what a film like this. I, I barely understand what this film is about. Uh, well, and this is this you know coming uh, just a few years after he did Sleepers, which is another yeah. really difficult film with uh, dealing with you know uh, just child abuse and child molestation. Horrible. It's yeah. it's like you know those are two really difficult films for him to have been in back to back. That uh, clearly from a young age, and, and I mean, geez, even even before that, the client was uh, you know that was uh, he was involved in a. Uh, he witnessed a uh, a guy kill himself. Uh, you know that was kind of a difficult thing for him to jump into right out of the gate. And uh, the cure is the one where his uh, his friend is dying of AIDS. And it's just like mm -hmm. he had a he had a string of really challenging uh, roles as a young kid. And clearly there was some darkness uh, that he was drawing from there. And it's uh, yeah, it's really. It it's was, really rough. It, it is. It was really rough, and it was. It was. Um, uh, you know, uh, that's a hard way. Hard way to live, and a hard way to go. Yeah, that's all. Um, you have. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we jump into dollars? All the dollars that this film made. Uh, all, of them? all, all. Yeah, you know, a few of the dollars. I don't think so. I think I pretty much uh, hit everything. Um, but uh, you know, I think the last thing I would say is. Um, uh, this was one of uh, the three films that were adapted from different seasons and uh, the others being Stand By Me, which we obviously talked about, and Shawshank Redemption, which we'll hopefully talk about one of these days. But um, the, the, the fourth one, as I recall, I mean, do you remember the, the fourth story in, in different seasons? Because it's not ever been adapted and my recollection of it is it's just not one that I think would ever work. It was um, called. Um, uh, it was the breathing the method. Breathing method, right? Um, yeah. Oh man, um, what was it about? It, wasn't it like some some uh, a lawyer who who um, ends up joining this weird men's club where they um, they uh, tell these uh, strange stories and uh, gosh, I can't remember what happens there. But there, you know, one of them's telling a story about. Um, gosh, I can't remember. It's but it's 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 something where they're telling stories and it's really creepy. Oh, and, okay. It was about the uh, it was about the childbirth breathing method. Uh, right, right, right. She goes into labor on a winter's night. Taxi crashes and she's decapitated. 
uh, and yet the patient is somehow still alive. Her lungs and her decapitated body are still pumping air thanks to the breathing method. Mm, all right. Oh. Yeah, that's so not... the baby uh, can be born. So the baby can be born. That's horrible. I, that I one a... seems like just... I, I, like, <laughs> clearly, I, I think the... <laughs> they've chosen wisely in the ones that could be made out of that. Yes, they I think, have. I think apt pupil may be the, uh, the, the, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a debate whether they should have made it or not. Uh, I definitely think the story works better, but, um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Very, very interesting. interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, uh, I have very, very <laughs> faint memories of that one. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, how'd it do in the box office? Uh, you know, this film cost $14 million to make, which in today's dollars is about $20 million. So, you know, it was, it was a decent budget to, uh, to go into making this. Um, interestingly, it looks like they spent another $14 million marketing this film. So it looks like the total budget on this thing was $28 million. Um, which I I know. <laughs> on a film that domestically ended up making $8.8 million. It really is what you would call a big box office flop. It really did not find its audience. I mean, we talked about it. It's, you know, no one really you can root for in this film. Um, it I couldn't find any international numbers, um, but what that means is uh, adjusted profit per finished minute. It lost about uh, almost $250,000 per finished minute. Down the drain. Oh, where does that put it uh, in our bottom it, of the barrel ranking? It, it puts it at number 130 out of, we have about 134 that we've actually gotten some data on. And that, so it's, uh, it did, um, it, it did worse than uh, Buckaroo Banzai, but it actually did better than the last four films on our list, which are Gattaca, Strange Days, The Hudsucker Proxy, and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Wow. So, ah. yeah. All right. Fair enough. Let's yep. rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can find our stack rankings of our favorite films and see if your films match our films. And let's see if Apt Pupil breaks the top hundy. <laughs> let's see. All right. Apt Pupil or Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Totally. Speed hot round. Fuzz. I know. <laughs> Apt Pupil or Sandlot? Sandlot. Sandlot. Uh, people are escape from New York. Escape from Ooh, New York. Escape from New York. <laughs> <laughs> I win. Uh, people or the blob. The blob. Do the blob. people or scoop. Mm. Ooh. Wow. I might do scoop. I. Gosh. Yeah. I might too. Yeah. people or Pritzy's honor. I do Pritzy's honor. Would you? I would. Now we're now we're getting there. Now it's getting harder. <laughs> oh, Pritzy's Honor still had some good stuff going for it. It's okay. not like my favorite film, but you know. All right, Pritzy's Honor. Wow, but here you go. Apt pupil or rush? <laughs> <laughs> Apt pupil. Apt pupil. Yes. There you go. One fifty-five out of one fifty-six. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And and I'm not saying that just for uh, just for the sake of keeping Rush at the bottom. I really believe that Rush is the worst movie on our list. I <laughs> genuinely believe it has that. some stuff going it for does. it. It does. I find Ian McKellen mesmerizing. I he do is too. an amazing actor. And I oh actually here's one more thing that I think they they wimped out on. And it's I feel wrong to say this because I'm a huge cat lover, but they should have killed the cat. I, I felt like was, <laughs> I, I felt like it was a cheat. He's this Nazi. It's like he, he, I feel like they they give him an opportunity to have this light character moment when the cat escapes, and he's like oh, a silly cat, and he lights his cigarette with the stove and stuff. I'm like, if yeah. you want us to hate him, make us hate him. But you know, I don't think that sequence was was going for getting us to hate him. 
I think that was. I think its intention was very different. Uh, ah, because but in the book, what, he kills he kills a lot of oh, cats. He kills a lot of cats, but in the movie, they they excised that all all of that stuff well, from the he movie. He does and kill so, the cat at some point because we do see later that you know missing cat poster up on the tree. We do, but uh, but, but that could have been other cats. Like you know, what do we know? <laughs> but what but what I'm saying is like that was that ended up being a really sort of an interesting um, montage, right? We kept cutting back from him trying to kill the cat to uh, Todd. Uh, in the coming out of the basketball court with the bird and the broken wing. And you know, what we, uh, what we come away from that sequence, we see Todd actually kill the bird and, uh, Doosander not being able to kill the cat in that sequence. Right. And I, I think that, you know, at least I walk away from that sequence saying, look, this is, this is youth dis- discovering its own evil and strength. Uh, and this is an old man who's, who is, you know, trying to find his but losing it right he's he's on the end of his he's at the end of his road and uh todd's just at the beginning and see i i would have liked to see the cat get killed because it i think it's also interesting how i mean i in my head watching this film i don't think Dusander had been doing any of this up until Todd reintroduced this element into his life maybe that's just me no i totally i totally agree with you this was a reawakening Right. And so for me, I think it's a really interesting moment where I I would have liked to see both of them now all of a sudden crossing that line and and kind of the evil is awakened in both of them. And I, 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 I don't know. But do you think when we see do you think when we see Dusander kill the the guy at the end that we would that it would have been a strong? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going from a cat to a person is still pretty. There's still a big step there. (laughs) <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough uh where do we go from here where this is the end of our stephen king so what uh, what comes next yeah this was the the big finale and uh we're going to well our listeners choice uh jeremy wickett uh picked for us none other than albert brooks's defending your life This I know, you're a, pretty I'm excited. A, I'm pretty excited about this one. This is a feel-good movie of my uh, youth. I'm excited about this. I haven't uh, seen it probably since then, and so I'm curious to revisit it. Good. This will be a good chat. Yeah. Good yeah. chat. Uh, I think that's it. I don't have anything else. I, uh, I gotta go to bed. All right. I've got this bird that just flew in through my window. <laughs> You can't, there's no way for you to counter, I, I've got to go to bed and look good. There's I no know. way you can really do that with this movie. It really isn't. No. It's bad. It's bad. Good night, you horrible person. <laughs> Mine is from, uh, I don't know if you've read any of his work before, um, but this is from the great Amazon customer. Mm. Mm. One of my favorites. He says, apt pupil. And, and I should say, he wrote this in, uh, on June 24th, 1999. Apt pupil Ooh, I... takes what could have been a spellbinding plot. A sinisterly curious teen tracks down an old soldier from Germany and blackmails him into telling him the atrocities of the Holocaust in morbid detail and makes it into nothing special. The events could be shocking under different direction, but instead get lost in a restrained attempt to make it all seem lifelike. The acting, however, is superb. Brad Renfro plays the right amounts of morbid curiosity and innocence. Ian McKellen, as usual, is right on the money but their performances were not enough to save this movie. I, you know, nothing funny about that, but man, is it right on. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well done, Amazon customer. Well, mine is by El Bob. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like there, you need to have that kind of Spanish accent since oh, it's yeah. El, El, El Bob. El Bob. One star says, too depressing. All I have to say is that this film is way too depressing. That's two spelled T-O. 
You have to be happy, people. This film is way too dark and evil. How can anybody like horror? <laughs> El Bob, just go watch some romantic comedies then. <laughs> Don't watch horror. That's like a, that's like a platform statement. I felt like he was running for class president. <laughs> How can anybody like horror? And only popsicles in the cafeteria. <laughs> Pajama day! 